He might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the- I'm bored. Wait! And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking, I call her the blonde as a joke. We're talking, is it true you're a two-bit tart? And we're talking Satan, the black cat. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking an Italian giallo version of Edgar Allan Poe and Le Diabolique. There we go. Yes. Uh, everyone, we are discussing... Oh my god. <laughs> Your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. Which I'm going to keep referring to it as vice for the rest of this episode <laughs> maybe like your vice because vice is its own film that's true yeah your vice is a locked room you know what that's short enough i think mm-hmm. it's no <laughs> hell house llc origins the carmichael, the carmichael manor, manor which thankfully we're in december we don't have to say anymore we don't have to say that anymore but yeah we are dipping back into the world of giallo joe and i think that might be a mm-hmm. little surprising for some of our listeners it's not your favorite, but you know what? Uh, we're going to barrel through because I think this is a fun title. Uh, would it surprise you to know that I really liked this movie? <laughs> Maybe a little. Maybe just a little. <laughs> okay, but before we get too far in, let's introduce our guest who is waiting in the wings. Everyone, she's got a PhD in cinema studies and currently acts as a contributing editor for Screenarchy and programmer for Winch Film Festival in India. She has written essays for Blu-ray and DVD releases of such films as Paul Verhoeven's Black Book and Patty Jenkins' Monster. Her book, The Spanish Fantastic, Contemporary Filmmaking in Horror, Fantasy, and Sci-Fi is also available right now. Please welcome Sheila Rowan Legg. Thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Oh, I mean, thank you, ma'am. Your credentials suggest that we should be thanking you. <laughs> like these were three bullets in a list of many that I edited down. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm old, and I've done a lot. You know, it's basically just my age. <laughs> uh, don't apologize for that. That's amazing. <laughs> but welcome into your vice is a locked room, and only I have the key. <laughs> Apparently, I in Italian, it's a tongue twister. Oh, and really? I kept listening to it. I, I I put it into Google Translate. You know, they can you can listen to it being spoken. And mm-hmm. many many years ago, I was studying classical singing, and I had to learn how to pronounce Italian. And I was okay. like, "Can I try this on the show?" And I kept listening. I'm like, "Nah, I can't. I can't do it." No. The problem is now that I've I've learned both Spanish and French. My yeah. Italian pronunciation is it, they're, Spanish and, and Italian sound very similar, but it's not quite the same. Uh, yes. Okay, genuine question, though. What was easier for you to learn, French or Spanish? Oh, Spanish. No question. (laughs) Okay, interesting. Uh, Interesting. Yes, and I've told this to my Quebecois francophone boyfriend. You know, it's, you know, sorry, sorry, babe, but Spanish is much easier to learn. But I still I still love both languages. (laughs) Oh, I always because I grew up in Texas. Joe obviously grew up in Canada. He always mispronounces Spanish names. And I'm like, but Spanish is so easy. It all sounds like it's one sound for every letter. (laughs) This is true. But I mean, if you if you don't have any knowledge, if you learn French, then that's fine. But no, Spanish is easier, definitely. And even and even my boyfriend would admit this. Well, and whereas when I try to speak French, (laughs) it's offensive, actually. It's, It's horrible. I mean, here's the thing. 
languages are tough, right? Like you principally <laughs> know one and then you maybe dabble in some other ones unless you're one of those like super fluent people. And I just feel like if you know one, it just makes other ones complicated unless they are very similar. Yeah. But when think something about Italian, I know it, in the way that it's similar to Spanish is that it, it sounds how it's written, which is one of the reasons both okay. of these languages are a little bit easier to to learn. Once you know mm -hmm. the pronunciation, it is a lot more simple, but unlike French and let's face it, English, you mm -hmm. know, words don't always look how they sound like, the, you know, my, my name, the spelling of my name is Irish. You don't pronounce the G, but there's a right, G right. in my name. So... <laughs> 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 well so out of curiosity do you have any sort of relationship with your vice as a locked room or is how did you first come across this film um well i had some knowledge of italian giallo cinema when i when i started getting into horror i was kind of a latecomer to horror i didn't really get into horror cinema until i was in my 20s mm -hmm. and it i had a general knowledge you know i like i'd seen some films like i'd seen deep red and blood and yeah. black lace and I think cat and nine tails but then uh this was back in 2014 i'd been asked to be a talking head in a documentary about giallo film for a release of Tenebrae that was going out. I can't remember the name of whoever was putting out uh, the film, I think. It, but the company, it was a British company. I'd have been in other, funny enough, other documentaries about Italian cinema for them before. I'd done one yeah. on Italian <laughs> zombie films. And apparently they liked having me there. Um, so they said, can you do the giallo? And it, they said, you know, here's a bunch of films to watch. So I spent a couple weeks, right. you know, just watching nothing but the oh, giallo boy. and and your vice is a locked room <laughs> was one of them and i definitely found i i i liked it better than some of the other ones it's kind of i felt a little atypical of a giallo it doesn't quite follow the mm -hmm. patterns of a lot of the other ones which is why i appreciated it a little more and I think right. that's partly because it's adapting a Poe story instead of taking more cues from like a crime novel mm -hmm. Maybe yes that. yeah I've said on the show that Giallo is not my favorite subgenre, but I feel I have to admit, I haven't seen that many Giallo. Like when I was doing, again, research for this, I was like, oh, wow, I haven't seen or heard of most of these films. So I'm basing my opinion on Giallo basically on what I've seen of Argento, which would be, I mean, mm -hmm. again, we don't consider Suspiria Giallo, but like it would be Deep Red and Tenebrae. And I don't, re I didn't really like Deep Red. I've seen it a handful of times. I do like Tenebrae. But after watching this, I was like, Maybe I need to give this subgenre like a, well, not even a revisit, just a visit so I can like explore more things in it. Mm -hmm. I, I'll admit I've always preferred, you know, not Argento Giallo. I've always preferred mm -hmm. Bava and and Fulci and Martino. I've, I think Argento is more of a horror filmmaker than pure Giallo. If you want to get more pure Giallo, I think the other filmmakers are a little bit more interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. And even like you like Mikel Suave trace and i know that he doesn't exclusively make giallo but he's got like a toe in there yeah i mean i really like stage fright i'm not well cemetery man's not a not a giallo but no. i don't like that one uh but i've all i, I want to see i think church is the other one of his that i haven't seen or the mm -hmm. big one but um yeah okay well uh so getting into this so um i'm gonna treat this kind of like a primer because it was a primer for me uh <laughs> so if you're a, a giallo expert uh you might know all this already so your vice is locked room uh, again from director sergio martino and while other directors of giallo like dario argento mario bava fulci uh, antonio margariti are possibly more well known than martino when it comes to this subgenre uh he's actually only second to argento when it comes to the sheer number 
of Giallo films he's actually directed. So, oh wow, okay, yeah, he got his start in '71 with his first two. We've got the Strange Vices of, Mi- of Mrs. Ward and the Case of the Scorpion's Tail. He brings us All the Colors of the Dark in '72, as well as this one, Your Vices Electrum, and only I have the key. Uh, his most successful, or at least most well-known one, comes right after this in 1973's Torso. Oh yeah, <laughs> which have, have either one of y'all seen that one? I think so, but I don't remember much about it. <laughs> I have not seen it. I just know it by reputation. That's that's exactly how I was, too. I was like, well, I don't know any of these titles, but Torso, that sticks out. I know that one. <laughs> but funnily enough, one of this film's screenwriters, Ernesto Gastaldi, had also served as screenwriter on M- Martino's first three Gialli. So that's Mrs. Ward, Scorpion's Tale, and All the Colors of the Dark. So it makes sense that he would work again with him on Vice, but... Interestingly enough, Gastaldi took his skills and he would go on to write character-driven westerns, or at least have writing roles in them, uh, like Day of Anger and even Once Upon a Time in America. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Yes. The title, Your Vice is the Electrum and Only I Have the Key, is a mouthful, and while some argue that it doesn't make any sense given the context of the film... I disagree, and I think we can discuss that once we get into the plot. Mm -hmm. The title actually comes from his first Giallo film, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, which sees the killer write the phrase in blackmail letters. And so Martino noticed that the line, uh, quote unquote, excited and surprised audiences as he heard it being repeated in screenings over and over and over. He could see the audience was fascinated by those strange, well, a strange collection of words. And so he just said, you know what? Let's name this one that. (laughs) As you do. I like that. Yeah. I mean, and yes. (laughs) (laughs) While detective and crime novels were very popular at the time, um, they decided to capitalize on that trend when making this film. And so while most Jolly are inspired by, if not directly based on crime and detective novels, this one is based on, based on or inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's short story, The Black Cat. And Martino had read all of Poe's books, loved them, and considered him a great inspiration. And he also thought that his stories were very ahead of their time. And this, I don't know if I agree with, easy to adapt to the screen. I think some of the classic Poe stories are because they're like morality tales with like good sound effects or visuals that you can draw from. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, well, and speaking of, though, I mean, you know, many of our listeners, if, if you're not familiar with the post story, The Black Cat, um, you probably just saw it adapted in the episode of uh, in the fourth episode of Mike Flanagan's The Fall of the House of Usher. But in case you haven't read the story, you're not familiar with it. It's basically a study of guilt that sees an unnamed narrator punish this badly behaved cat by cutting its eye out and hanging it from a tree, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> as you do says the dog lover of the podcast <laughs> i don't even hate cats my husband is allergic to cats but i do not hate cats my parents hate cats <laughs> um but he kills his cat and then another cat comes in and he's like oh god and his wife is like wait don't kill the cat so he kills her instead buries her behind a brick wall in his basement and then when the police come um they hear the mewing of the cat they uncover the body and the wall and they see, oops, he accidentally sealed the cat in with this corpse. And mm-hmm. there you go. That's so, how he gets caught. And you can see many elements of that in here. So even though it's not a direct adaptation, he takes, I would say, key moments and applies them to this story. But mm-hmm. because of that connection, a lot of people call this a gothic giallo as opposed to just a quote unquote regular giallo. Well, you could argue that, given that it's it's very much based around this kind of a, a house that becomes haunted. 
Sure. And it yeah. kind of is haunted by the the, the mother and her, the figure mm. of her in this painting. Oh my god, that fucking portrait kills me every time <laughs> we go back to it. I was getting major Rebecca vibes from that character. Oh, the character yeah. we never see in the film. Yeah, Which, yeah. I mean, if we're saying, if we're dropping the word gothic on the podcast, it's like, oh yeah, one of the first titles you're going to go to is Rebecca. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, the film is also partially based on a famous crime from the 50s called the Fenaroli crime, in which a man arranged for his wife to be murdered in Rome while he was in Milan in order to collect on her life insurance money. The motivation of this case also tangentially inspired the Mrs. Ward movie, um, also something called So Sweet, So Perverse, and The Sweet Body of Deborah. But I think if anyone listens to our show regularly, you can also very clearly see, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, this was really heavily inspired by uh, Clouseau's Les Diaboliques. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's funny because I was like, this movie is reminding me of something and I can't put my finger on it. And then as soon as I saw that, it just immediately clicked into place. Yeah, the constant deception and, you know, there's crime on top of crime on top of crime happening. Mm hmm. I mean, that's the thing. Two women team up together to kill one of their husbands. Bam. Diabolique right there. Even though this goes in a wildly different direction than Diabolique did. Yeah. Well, not necessarily, (laughs) because then the two women think they're teaming up, but then it turns out one one Mm. woman is deceiving the other, in a sense. That's that's true. But then, I mean, like, but then one of them still kind of, like, on top of things. I Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No happy endings in these stories, for sure. Oh, Definitely. I honestly, though, I did feel really bad for Arena. I was like, man, this could have been almost a good for her movie for me, but yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't quite close. get there. Close. Yeah. But uh, Martino said that he was specifically trying to make films in the early 70s about the changing roles of women in society at the time. And given the subject matter of this film, which um, has one of these women be uh, beaten, raped and humiliated by her husband on more than one occasion. Oh, actually, sorry, I guess that should be our content warning. Lots of rape in this movie. Lots of rape. And yes, obviously, the cat does die. Yes. um, Yes. But Martino also clearly like to work with actors over and over. So this is his third uh, giallo with Edwidge Fennec, uh, who plays Floriana. Uh, she was in both The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward and All the Colors of the Dark. This was his second collaboration with Anita Strindberg, who plays Arena. Um, she was in The Case of the Scorpion's Tale. The role of Floriana, this is the Fennec role, was originally written for a 17 or 18-year-old girl, but aged up a few years when they brought in Fennec. But, fun fact, it's the first time she wore her hair short, and I was just getting Sally Bowles uh, uh, stuff this entire oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a striking look. It's not surprising that he ends up gravitating to this actor, because she honestly just pops on the screen. I wonder if the short hair was made to, like, it was supposed to make her look younger than she actually was. Is that is that the effect mm. that y'all get from this? It's possible. Possibly. I, I believe mm. that. Makes her feel very modern. We actually just started watching a 1993 television miniseries that was done by Martino that mm-hmm. stars her. Oh. So 20 years later, they were still working together. That Private is crimes. Wild. So far, we like it. <laughs> Okay. Well, it's so funny because looking through all these actors' filmographies, I was like, well, because again, I don't have that, like, a, a huge knowledge base in Italian cinema. And then I see, like, on Fennec, Hostel Part 2. And I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> she plays the art teacher in that movie. Oh, <laughs> interesting. And here's the thing. I'm willing to bet that Eli Roth was probably a big fan. Yep. That is 100% why she is in that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
But fun fact, though, Finnick and Martino are actually still close. Uh, his brother used to be her partner before his death. Um, so I guess that's why, yeah, they're still, um, I mean, even past the 90s, still close. There we go. But um, yeah, the film was shot close to the village of Padua, which Martino likens to a delightful village suspended in time. And I, I don't really have a lot of information about the actual shoot, um, but I, I'm going to say the no news is good news approach. So uh, I'm assuming this <laughs> went very well. Or it's an Italian film from like 50 something years ago. So we just don't have a ton of info. <laughs> That too. Yeah. Um, it premiered in Italy in August of 1972, um, but being an Italian exploitation export, it was released internationally under multiple titles, including Gently, Before She Dies, Excite Me, and Eye of the Black Cat. Apparently, they will perform very well box office-wise in France. Critical reception is positive. We're looking at a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 6.9 out of 10. Albeit, this is based on nine reviews. Uh, Letterboxd <laughs> users have given it a 6.8 out of 10. And Martino notes that critics typically hated genre films at the time, but he had been surprised at the reappraisal fans have given his films, noting they're better than critics at the time thought, but not as good as today's fans think they are. <laughs> I mean, that's not... That's pretty typical for the reception of genre films by critics in that era they were never taken seriously they were always dismissed right. as not being the quote-unquote right kind of cinema mm -hmm. i mean to be honest that's not necessarily that different from today although today it's, right? there's a lot more critics with voices who appreciate genre film right mm -hmm. but back then it was it's I, I i assume it might be the same in italy and spain that it's actually very hard to find information on a lot of these films of that era from the critics because they barely even speak about them yeah and even academic study is still fairly recent of a lot of these movies but is that also because they didn't make their way over to the states like were these films difficult to find for the longest time until recently I think a lot of them, yeah. A lot of them, they just yeah. never necessarily got released. A big mm. issue of that, of course, is is the subtitle issue. Mm. I mean, it's still an issue in America. Unfortunately, there's there's a, a dislike of reading subtitles. But I right, think yeah. that still was the case back then. And, you know, American films would make it to Europe, but the opposite didn't happen nearly as often. I'm going to mm -hmm. say, though, I mean, like, again, a, a sticking point I have with uh, a, a giallo that are dubbed in, uh, in English, that takes me out of the movie more than reading subtitles. And even with this one, where I was like, okay, well, it's clearly a dub. Like, they're dubbing the Italian over the Italian, and it doesn't always line up. But because my eyes were transfixed reading the subtitles, it didn't bother me as much as a uh, an English dub of a giallo normally would. Right. Yeah. And if you want some additional context for that, folks, go back and listen to that first giallo that we covered on the pod with Michael Verratti, because he makes a pretty compelling argument for why the dubbing isn't actually as big of an issue as we often make it out to be. And that was Tenebrae, I believe. Yes. Yes. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's really all the information I have on this. So why don't we dive into uh, what happens in this wackadoodle movie? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay, so we have credits, and then we open with a <laughs> we open with an out of focus, sexy sex scene that is like shot in a lot of close ups. So you're not even really sure who the actors are. Like I had difficulty figuring out who's actually having sex in this scene. And if it's even the actors from the movie, maybe it's just some honestly body standards yeah. they got. Well, what I believe it's supposed to be Arena and her gray-haired paramour, right? That, oh, is that Walter? what you think? Oh, that huh. could make sense, yeah. Right. 
that would make sense. I'd have to watch after yeah. the fact, right? <laughs> well, I mean, because I think when you started, you're thinking, "Oh, it's going to be Arena and Olivero." And then, of course, when you see how he treats her, you're like, "Well, their sex wouldn't be that tender." Mm. Yeah, and the mm. music is 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 kind of romantic. So, yes. When, yes. whoever these two people are, they want to be together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and special shout out to composer Bruno Nicolai who does the score. This music is like sweeping and romantic but also like i even got essence of saw in the music in the final climax when we're driving down the mountain like the music takes us to places in this film i mean i think that's pretty Mm -hmm. standard for this type of film and but i mean for for anyone who's like oh giallo equals goblin it's nice to have a score that's um equally as like bombastic but um not goblin sure yeah (laughs) yes exactly Okay, so after the credits are over, we are introduced properly to uh, Oliviero. He is played by Luigi Pastillo, and he is toasting his promiscuous actor mother, Esther, whose portrait hangs in the hallway. And we are basically at a hedonistic dinner party that only he seems to want to be at. I mean, I think some of the guests seem like they're having fun. (laughs) What are they? They are kids from some campsite and they, they're basically showing yes. up to some fancy house and they're probably getting free free alcohol and mm-hmm. food. They've brought along the weed. They all seem yep. to be pretty happy to me. This is a But certainly hell. his wife is not enjoying herself. No. So that would be Arena, played by Anita Strindberg, and she is not feeling this party at all. So to Basically, start off the domestic abuse that will dominate this movie, what Oliviero does is he takes everyone's drink, so individual goblets of booze, a variety of different kinds, mixes them into a punch bowl, and then forces her to drink it. This is gross. So yeah, it's, it's like not gross. only a dis- disgusting combination of alcohol, but everybody's backwash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it also because when it's pouring on her it looks yellow so it also has like the look of urine to it oh boy yeah. it's um <laughs> not pleasant and a hell of a way to introduce your main characters honestly yeah. yeah and the fact is this is what he does in front of people so what is he doing <laughs> when he doesn't have an audience who might be judging him uh, we'll find out and Trace, as you pointed out with Martino, he wanted to talk about issues with women. So a few things I did find out, which was interesting when I went back to this film to watch Mm -hmm. it again last night to refresh my memory about it. So adultery was only decriminalized in Italy in 1969. And apparently that was done because it was unfairly that that's that that law was unfairly used against women. Mm -hmm. Shocker. Divorce was not legal until 1970, so divorce has only been legal for a couple of years now. So you can imagine mm-hmm. the societal stigma against anybody who divorces, even though it's technically right. legal. And yeah. until the 1970s, rape victims were often expected and forced to marry their rapists. Oh, and until oh. until 1981, a rapist would be exonerated under the criminal code if they married their victim. Until 1981? <sighs> yes. <laughs> Jesus Holy Christ. F. That is yeah. disgusting. That's ooh, the patriarchy. So y'all. that's the atmosphere well. that women are living in. in Italy. I mean, things have gotten better, but not, you know, in terms of the law, but society takes a long time often to catch up to law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's the thing, though. I feel like this film, I don't, I don't know if I would call this film a feminist film, but I don't like given 
all the violence against women that happens in this film. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, would y'all call this exploitative? I mean, I guess it, it's been labeled an exploitation film, but I don't get that as much from this. I don't personally. No, I, I don't think so either. I don't, I think because it's showing the place the violence is coming from, from mm-hmm. a place of horrible abuse. So it's, it's, maybe it's a little bit more than a you know, regular drama might show, but I don't sure. think mm-hmm. Dick's exploitative as a lot of Giallo films. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are spending a fair amount of time witnessing the abuse. Like, there's a scene where Oliviero just randomly starts smacking Arena around, like, backhanding her. And you're like, do we need to linger on this? Do we have to see it? Like, he rapes her multiple times in this movie. It's not especially gratuitous, but it's repetitive to the point where it feels like we're trapped in a cycle of domestic abuse with them. Well, because I was about to say, oh, well, like, we need to see it because then it makes, like, the twist, the kill reveal at the end make more sense. But then I was like, well, no, because if I'm talking about a rape-revenge film, then I'm not going to say we need to see the rape to get to the revenge, which I know is a big sticking point right now. Yeah. I mean, again... Italy, early 1970s, like, I think we've seen far worse. But yeah, I'm not gonna lie, if people get upset about domestic abuse and sexual assault, like this movie's not super, super fun for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so after Arena is forced to down this punch bowl of mixed booze, she basically bails. And that's when Oliviero turns his attention to Brenda, who is the maid. Uh, We should note that she is one of the only characters of color in this film. She's played by Angela Lavrangna. And this is also super gross because he basically just forces himself on her very publicly. Uh, We're also seeing a lot of boobs out in this movie. So it's... uh, no dicks, yeah, though, which, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, a lot of verbal abuse, though. He calls her a mm-hmm. crummy slut and a stinking whore. That's fun. Yeah, it's also quite racist. A lot of the comments that get made against Brenda throughout the film, not just by this character. So again, yeah. a period of its time, but uh, not easy to watch. Yeah, and and that time in Italy, there was... Europe was becoming more and more integrated, and this Mm. caused a lot of unrest with the majority white population of Italy. And this is also Mm -hmm, the era. It's not just Giallo films that are popular around this era. It's also all the Mondo films, which were these supposedly, you know, world travel documentaries, which were also incredibly racist. So... (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so the party kind of winds down after some lady jumps up on the table and begins strip dancing. And that song that they start singing, I tried to Mm. find out what that song was and I could not. Uh Uh-huh. I was trying to figure out if it was a racist thing, because it kind of sounded like a black hymn to me. But then I'm like, they're saying it in Italian. I can't really figure it out. (laughs) Or if it was like, yeah, I I looked it up to like, I looked up the lyrics in English, because obviously, I mean, I couldn't figure out in Italian. And I'm like, it's almost like, is this from like Godspell or Hair or something? (laughs) Because I was like, this feels more like the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, that just that's a sticking point for me about that song. I want to know what that song is. Anyway, sorry, continue. Okay, so we should also note that during the party, we are introduced to Satan. That is the family's black cat. And it's immediately clear that it has a very good relationship with Oliviero jumps up on his lap and he pets it throughout the rest of the party. This cat, Which is interesting because cats usually, 
usually in film they gravitate to women this is the mm-hmm. only reason i'm sad that this is a podcast and not video because my cat looks like satan that is oh, my cat yee. a long-haired black cat <laughs> So. This cat is gorgeous, by the way. Mm-hmm. Apparently, yeah. as most cats are on screen, a little tempestuous. Uh, they really had to bait it with food as often as possible to get it to do anything. But if they wanted it to bristle or like stand up and hiss and stuff, apparently they had to use a multiplicity of different dogs because the cat would get used to it. So they'd be like, does this dog cause a reaction? Oh, good. Okay, keep that dog around. We need to make the cat bristle in a scene or two. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and when she was in heat they couldn't use her which that, that right. was surprising too because i was like we didn't have like multiple like stand-in cats i guess because in my mind i was like there's so many cl- extreme close-ups of this cat's face mm-hmm. that i just assumed half of them were dummies well yeah because i think we're used to filmmakers knowing how difficult cats and children are so it's like oh let's work with twins let's get five or six animals so that we don't have to rely on just one and it seems like this production had one which is wild because this cat is in a lot of the movie oh, yeah. yeah well this cat is a character it should be like at fourth billing i mean <laughs> right. in, in one Satan of the countries it was released <laughs> it was it was the uh titular uh cat <laughs> so yeah makes sense makes sense yeah Okay, so um, when Arena comes out, she has changed clothes, and she is now in Esther. That would be the dead mother. She is in her period clothing. So I was trying to figure out if this is a costume because the mother was an actress, or if this is just like, oh, it's a family heirloom, and we've kept it around. But it is very ornate and it's very, very theatrical. Like Victorian, almost. Well, he says, like, at one point, one of his mother's great roles was Mary Stewart. So I assumed that was a costume from that. Okay. Yeah. Mm. She just walks around in it. (laughs) Or maybe she liked the costume so much she had the painting done, you know. Right. Yeah, Yeah, to commemorate her best role. As far as I can tell, this woman owned a lot of really expensive jewelry and this dress. And that's what she wore in the house all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And possibly had an incestuous relationship with her son. Oh, no, 100% had oh, an incestuous relationship. Yeah, yeah. No question. <laughs> also, uh, content, content warning for, warning for incest. Yeah, <laughs> the amount of time I was like, wait, did Flo just say that she was his... Ni- wait, are we fucking... Oh, this is an incest <laughs> movie. Got it. The, the, no, I mean, yeah, this is very... I'm watching House of the Dragon now, and I was like, oh, right, I have to get back into incest as normal mode. I found a couple of reviews where people were just saying there's so much sexual assault and also incest. Like, what are we doing in this movie? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, sexual assault, not cool. Don't always love seeing it. Would prefer not to see it ever. But like, I don't know. I'm down with incest as a storytelling device. I think it's interesting. (laughs) But what about if it's an incestual sexual assault? Uh, Less so then. Okay. Yeah. I draw the line somewhere. Oh, that's, that's good to know. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so Arena comes out in this costume and Oliviero is pissed. He just starts slapping her. He's calling her a dirty whore. And this is when he does the first of multiple sexual assaults on her. And the camera politely zooms in on Esther like, don't be defiling my mother Ooh. or else. That's really okay. So going back to what you were saying, Sheila, about the law and divorce and rape and everything. 
at the time, would Italian law consider this a rape if it's a husband and a wife? This is I, that I, information I could not find, but I'm guessing probably not. Marital rape mm. really has only been recognized as a thing since like the 80s. So I'm guessing probably yeah. no. Jesus Christ. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So uh, the next morning, we've got Brenda taking out the empties from the party to a new character, Miss Molinaire, who is played by Narina Montenegni. And this is kind of like the old lady who she she maybe is on how she seems to just kind of like wander around on her bike and do odd things. But here she's basically also a bit of a town gossip so she's getting info on the shenanigans at the party and then she bikes away and she'll become important later i was gonna say she put her in your back pocket for later <laughs> yeah yeah okay so oliviero and arena drive into town he leaves her in the car so she can be ogled by dario who is played by ricardo salvino and he's there with his biker friends They'll come back in a bit. But uh, Oliviero goes into the bookstore where he is chatting with what we will very quickly realize is his much younger mistress, Fausta, who is played by Daniela Giandarno. And uh, this is happening under the watchful eye of the shop owner, Bartello, Marco Mariani. And if you forget who Bartello is or what he looks like, you would be completely forgiven, even though he is, spoiler alert, one of the two killers. Well, yeah, <laughs> that killers, was so weird. I actually, like, I, w I went back and forth because when it got to the killer scene, I'm like, is that really him? He does not look the mm -hmm. same. He does not look the same. I mean, it doesn't help that this actor is like generic AF. I had so much difference. <laughs> when he is revealed, I was like, who even is that? Are we supposed to recognize this person? <laughs> to be clear, though, the only person he kills in this movie is the, the sex worker, right? He doesn't kill Brenda. He doesn't kill um, Fausta. He kills as Fausta. As know. And he kills the sex worker. See, yeah. Okay, I didn't think he killed Fausta. Does he Fausta. kill Fausta? I thought, no, I thought, I thought Arita killed Fausta. I thought that was the case, too. Like Anyone oh. who was having an affair with Olivero was, was okay. killed. And that's why the, th the whole, again, this subplot with the sex worker. Um, Giovanna. This whole subplot with Fausta, her aunt, and then this bookstore guy. That's mm -hmm. your giallo element. Uh, this uh, is here as a red herring for no fucking... I mean, it, there, it's there for a reason. That's the reason. Sure. But like, you, you could cut it out of the movie, <laughs> and it doesn't really yeah. matter. Okay. The reason I got confused is because when we introduced the Inspector Farula character, when he ends up telling... Oliviero, like, hey, it was this guy, the bookshop owner, he's an escaped convict, he killed two girls. And I was like, oh, those are the two girls that he well, killed. I will say so at, at, at um, Fausta's death. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. I was calling the sex. So it's Giovanna's the sex worker, Fausta's the, yes. the mistress. There's a shot in I'm gonna call it a barn uh, whenever mm -hmm. Fausta is looking and you can see a silhouette of what looks like a man and so in my head I was like well if that was Arena you'd have her big ass hair like silhouette right there but, <laughs> oh, but I thought it was the lover that no, sorry not Arena killed Fausta but her lover killed Fausta that was my, oh, my yes. assumption Walter then there might be three killers in this movie <laughs> yeah technically I think yeah. there are and and the bookstore owner you know because Giovanna is the outlier like yeah. mm -hmm. he's yes. just killing her because she's a sex worker not because she has anything to do with oliviero yeah mm -hmm. no, nothing but it throws the cops off the scent yes, yes. and the audience yeah. and us definitely us <laughs> clearly <laughs> clearly i apologize for confusing anyone but 
also the movie confused me so (laughs) (laughs) okay so uh after the bookstore scene we head back to the villa we've got more of husband and wife bickering she really hates this fucking cat he loves the cat he's like hey stop attacking it with a broom or scissors later oh i really like though all like the wordplay we get with the use of satan so he's like he's like Mm -hmm. trying to drive satan out with a broom that's a twist on exorcisms (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) one of the only times i'll think he's funny Yes. Yeah, but part of me figures that I mean, I guess I guess Satan is in in the at least in the credits referred to as a male cat, but often I find subtitles don't get he or she writes in doing translations. Oh. So oh. I assume Satan's the reincarnation of his mother or something like that. Or was his mother's cat, oh. maybe? We don't know uh, how long his mother's been dead, do we? Well that's, that's the thing, because there's a black about. cat in the portrait with the mother, so yes. I just assumed it was the same cat. But the cops think so too, because they're like, hey, is that the cat in the painting? And then that's where we hear the caterwauling that leads him down to the cellar. But I actually really like the idea or the possibility of no, this is clearly the mother reincarnated in cat form. Or at least she she was such a bitch that she kicked that cat's soul out of his <laughs> body and made house. Yeah, I would believe that. This is a possession film now. <laughs> I do love that, though, Sheila, because, yeah, I mean, it would explain why this black hat hates Arena so much and ends up being the one who commits her downfall because they, yeah, I mean, really, they hate each other. One got the other killed. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so we're up to Fausta's death in this, like, rock quarry kind of barn thing, and it's cool. It's okay. I mean, it's it's interesting because you know, if 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 we think it's like a re- one of the killings that Arena and her lover have done, mm-hmm. it's a murder for sexual reasons, but it's not a sexual murder, which goes yeah. kind of against the giallo. Like, it's, she's not she, in this case. I mean, not with the next murder, but with this murder, she's not naked. Her clothes aren't torn mm-hmm. or anything like that. Somebody's just going in and stabbing her. Well, I guess, right. I mean, and again, like without having seen too many Giallo films, uh, how often is the black gloved serial killer a woman? Mm, good question. More than you might think, but it's mm, not okay. always. Less than half, right. but not that much less than half of the okay, time. Okay, so yeah, n- okay. not rare, just maybe uncommon or common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a probably a better batting average than what we get in North American horror films. Yes, I that's the good way to think of it, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Arena wakes up the next day. She's answering questions from the aforementioned Inspector Farla, who is played by Franco Nebbia, and he reveals that uh we we knew that she was younger just by eyesight, but this is where we get confirmation that Fausta is one of Oliviero's former students when he was teaching high school, which just ups that ick factor he's a horrible liar too like he is so clearly lying (laughs) every time Mm -hmm. he speaks (laughs) yes but arena goes to bat for him Mm -hmm. which is interesting like the police i mean yeah they would suspect him because it's obvious that he was he was Mm -hmm. screwing this this young lady but the wife Mm -hmm. you know and and we're also at a time where are women believed we're not believing today that much (laughs) (laughs) but back then but it's like the wife why would the wife cover for her husband or maybe you know maybe she's covering for him enough i mean if i was the cop Mm -hmm. i still i wouldn't necessarily believe the wife but i mean cops just will 
I'm going to say, one aspect of these types of films that, that, that frustrates me is a lot of times, like, the killer reveal is like, wait, who is that? Or it's someone just kind of tangentially related to, like, the main plot. So mm-hmm. I like that wasn't the case in this film. And maybe this is on me. I genuinely did not expect Arena to be the mastermind of all of this. Mm-hmm. I, I was surprised as well. But it's one of the reasons I like this one. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because I think we're spending so much time with her in battered woman mode, right? Where I think, yeah, in in some ways, you're right, Trace, it is that sort of rape revenge film, but not in the same way we would classify films nowadays. No. But there is something subversive in terms of audience expectations where there's nothing about this woman that leads you to believe that she's actively plotting her husband's downfall like you're waiting for him to murder her the entire film well and even when floriana comes in you know, at the 30 minute mark of this movie you're like oh, okay so they're gonna team up but like like floriana is still the dom in this relationship and so right. that's such a good like rug pull where it's like oh no <laughs> she had this <laughs> going the entire time <laughs> she's had a master plan the whole time <laughs> okay yeah so arena gives her husband the alibi and he claims afterwards he was out yes so he did need it but it's just because he had a flat tire but when she goes to check we don't actually get to see the contents of the boot but uh you know he he very much is like stop looking stop asking questions go back in the house he beats her a couple more times and then sends her on her way Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i do like that pov shot though from inside the the tire hole Hmm. yeah oh we have not said but this film is super fucking stylish which oh, yeah. i think is par for the course right i mean yes I, I one of the things i really appreciated about it is kind of like you trace i'm a bit of a giallo novice and i really was expecting to just see a lot of familiar argento style shots which is not a bad thing because i love the way argento directs but this film is very interested in voyeurism so we're spying mm-hmm. through like keyholes and cracked doors and people are constantly just looking at each other and i found that that Like, I'm not going to say this movie is sexy, but it does have a kind of perverse sexuality just covering the whole thing like a haze. I would agree with that. I do think, I mean, I I think the sex scene between Floriana and Arena is a very sexy scene. So, I mean, I think, but I I understand, like, your hesitance to be like, yeah, this movie is sexy when it's filled with sexual assaults. Yeah. But there's definitely, like, a vibe, this erotic vibe to it that I I think is very much intentional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we see a lot of Oliviero drinking, looking at mom's portrait, presumably wanking off, thinking about being with her. (laughs) I put that last part in. (laughs) And then that night, there's a storm. And Brenda decides, this is the ideal time, because no one's paying attention to me, because I'm a black woman who's also a maid in this, like, stupid rich house. I'm going to try on Esther's costume and see how it looks. And she gets into oh, it. She starts dear. feeling herself. Um, this is a little provocative. I'm not going to lie. All of the women in this movie also have incredible bodies. So oh, yeah. when the camera is lingering on them, it's like, those are very nice breasts. Yes. <laughs> Just imagine you walking up to a woman like, those no. are very <laughs> nice breasts. Like you go to a strip club. Those are, excuse Jesus. me. <laughs> Here's a 20. You have very nice breasts. <laughs> 
Yes, I do that all the time. You know me so well. <laughs> but but no, but, but but this particular scene, yeah, th- this feels the most. Um, I guess I exploited it because yeah, it really does. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it, when it was more of a character and th- yes. this like served a purpose, then yeah, sure, I, I buy more into this. But this is just a oh no, we're just gonna watch this woman like massage her breasts for about three minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then she gets startled and murdered. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 this is the only death. I was not, not happy about this. Brenda did yeah. not mm-hmm. deserve to die whatsoever. No. You know, I mean, she's, she's not being treated very well in this, in this place. And all she did was, you know, take a little moment for herself. Whether mm-hmm. that, you know, with putting on the dress and, you know, touching herself, hey, you know, masturbation fantasies for her, go right ahead, honey. Sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, so she doesn't she doesn't need to die over this. But what I did find interesting, and I, I think it was the same knife that killed Fausta, or it's supposed to be the mm. same knife, or or it looks like a cake knife. Okay. It's got that curve end with the two, I, I don't know, description of kitchenware, as I should have asked my sister, who's the kitchen expert, but it <laughs> looks like a cake knife. It, 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 I don't think this is just me. It looks like so, a cake knife. I learned what this was. I'd never heard of this term before, but this is called a bill hook, and it's used in agriculture to cut down woody material like shrubs, oh. small trees, and branches. So the detective calls it, uh, he says it might be a sickle based on like the, yeah. the marks left on uh, on Fausta's body, but um, no, this is called a bill hook. Okay, it must Weird. have the same shape okay. as a cake knife, because it looked it look too... Seems like it's too small to cut down wood, but what, what the heck do I know about cutting no, down wood? No, no, no. <laughs> so cake knives have, I only know this because I used to work in events for a very long time, but like cake knives have that kind of like rounded tip to them, but the actual yeah. blade itself doesn't curve. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. It's not like it's the most original murder weapon ever, but it is the kind that makes you sit up and say, oh, I don't know that I've really seen that well, too no, often. <laughs> it's distinct enough mm-hmm. where I was like, what the fuck is that called? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, it is logical. It's the kind of implement or you know tool you would expect somebody would have around a country estate. That yes. probably has to you know mm-hmm. that you have a gardener who's got to you know trim the, the hedges. That's an, an implement mm-hmm. that would be around. It makes sense that it's there. But yeah. going back, going back to Brenda, you're right, though, because because Arena only kills her or has her killed, depending on who you think is doing the murders. Sure. Because she's had a sexual relationship with Olivero. But all of those instances, again, were rapes. And so it's like, Arena, come on, this could be your sister in arms. But, you know, racism. And, you mm-hmm. know, rape yeah. or, you know, coercive sex where she felt like, you know, she didn't have any choice. But to oh, say 100%. yes, then yeah, yeah, she definitely did not deserve this end. You know, you could argue Fausta, yes, and some of the others, but definitely not Brenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a casualty just because she's there, so we can use it to weaponize against Oliviero. But also, it, the camera angles too in this scene, how how mm-hmm. it making us think that Oliviero is watching. Like, is, she, right. is he watching Brenda touch herself in this costume? Is he getting off on the fact that he's okay with her wearing this outfit because he's mm-hmm. sexually interested in her? Is he watching her murder? Like, it's all this, you know, deception, red herrings. You know, who are we supposed right. to think is doing the killing? Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, though, I still feel like this narrative is so much more... It's it's easier to follow than, like again, like something like Deep Red, which I find Deep Red to be very... <sighs> A lot. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think the only time that this one is, well, obviously, I've already admitted to the fact that I was a little confused, but it's when we (laughs) follow uh, Giovanni 
and it's like wait where are we why are we suddenly in a brothel and well, what's going on but it it's is a, a little pretty, confusing it's a yeah. blip yeah. Well, I I I love the kind of I'm jumping ahead here, but whenever Floriana arrives, Giovanna is mm-hmm. the first person we see get off the train, and this extended ass shot, like straight out of a Fast love and Furious movie. It. But like, <laughs> you think that this is Floriana, and you're like, oh, and then it's like, oh wait, no, mm-hmm. that's just some nobody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I love Giovanna. <laughs> She's so fun. <laughs> oh, she's very fun. I was very disappointed when it's revealed, oh, she's barely even a character in this movie. <laughs> I just also the relationship with her aunt I found so fascinating because her aunt is basically her pimp. Yeah. 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 Her aunt is the madame. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So so to put a pin in Brenda, she basically dies <laughs> and Arena stumbles on the body immediately because she hears the ruckus. And that's when Oliviero comes upon them and he says yeah, I'm already a murder suspect, so I don't really want to report this. Can we maybe just hide the body and he just, uh, just call casually it a day? walks over the blood, like, oh yeah, <laughs> here we go, another body again to make us yep. suspect him. But I'm like, wow, murder just happens around you, dude. And he probably thinks, oh, I'm a writer, I'm sophisticated, I can just walk past all this blood. Well, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, with this death specifically, though, it's like, a, okay, was well, it just the, the murder? Is like whatever, or is it because yeah, she, she's a woman of color? It's like no one's gonna miss her, so let's just get mm-hmm. rid of her. And to add insult to injury, he makes Arena wash the dress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is mm-hmm. one of those oh telltale signs. You really were just in love with your fucking mother because you are so <laughs> obsessed with this goddamn dress. Yep. I mean, I'm surprised there aren't <laughs> cum stains all over it. <laughs> Just on the inside. Maybe there are. They Did they have black lights back then? We could check. <laughs> Ooh, I was going to say, he probably doesn't want anyone else wearing the dress because he wears the dress. And he wears the, the dress. dress. Yes. I would totally believe that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which, don't you want to see... <laughs> don't you want to see <laughs> Luigi Pastille, like, wearing this goddamn dress? It would be like uh, Vincent Cassell in um, Elizabeth. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, he's got such a dour... Face. apparently the actor was relatively fun like he was a kind of happy ish guy he did ultimately die by suicide which is very tragic oh, yeah. uh, apparently it was like a, a weird love affair thing but his face is apparently quite a bit more stern than what he was like in real life so it was yeah. sort of funny to hear that oh yeah like this person that you look at and you just think oh He's sad. He's bad. He's not very good. Yeah, it's. I saw the note on his suicide because like he he had suffered from depression and like he had like just done a performance because I think he was an, a singer too. He's a stage actor. Um, that got horrible reviews and he was like mm. torn apart in the reviews for it. And he killed himself shortly afterwards. But then in his suicide note, wrote an apology to a woman that he had made public like negative public statements about. And he was like, "That was really wrong of me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me." Um. Ooh. Hmm. that's rough yeah but um, weirdly enough though he was actually in also a lot of westerns so he was in the good the bad and the ugly he was in for a few dollars more so it's interesting how many of these italian people are also in these like american westerns or i guess spaghetti westerns yeah Yeah, because they were made there and they needed the Mm -hmm. local talent to fill in these parts yep Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder if it's like spaghetti westerns over there and like horror films were kind of the same as the way that we talk about how editors and sometimes composers will jump between comedies and horror here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of crossover between comedy and horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
So um, the next day, Dario, who is basically the Lothario biker guy, but he also plays the role of town gossip. Like he loves to talk about what people are up to. So he's there delivering supplies and he's, you know, very upset that Brenda has gone. I think we're meant to infer that he had a sexual relationship with Brenda, but we never really get confirmation of this. Yeah, I, I I think the implication is there, but it's just not explicitly stated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I I assumed that they they had spent some romantic slash sexual time together. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would make sense because he is like constantly coming around trying to score invitations to come inside and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he also passes along this telegram so we can anticipate that niece Floriana is on her way. She's arriving by train. This is when we get the bait and switch with uh, Giovanna, who is played by Enrica Bonacorti. And, you know, just to really drive home the message that women are not safe from men anywhere. Like, not only do we get that voyeuristic ass shot when she's introduced coming off the train, she's immediately sexually harassed by a group of soldiers walking by. (laughs) Yeah. This character, though, man, I love. I mean, she's basically she's the femme fatale so of this movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's sold like, yeah, I'm a prostitute. Who cares? Uh, yeah, you know what? I love this character. I just wish we had a bit more with her. Like, I, I understand mm-hmm. implicitly that it is a bait and switch here, but it's also a red herring about the overall mystery of the killer and so on. It's just, I like this character, and I would have liked to have seen her stuck around and do a bit more. Well, I think mm-hmm. it's because, though, with the arena we have pre-killer reveal, it's like, a, oh, like you want to see a strong female character. And mm-hmm. both Giovanna and Floriana embody that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Did you two read this as an almost like generational age thing? Because they're both quite a bit younger and they seem a lot more sexually fluid, very comfortable. They are more willing to stand up and combat men. Mm-hmm. That was my assumption. Yeah, a lot of it comes from age and 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 yeah, and generation. And this is uh, early seventies and and the late sixties, early seventies in a lot of European countries was a t- great time of unrest and a lot of the, mm-hmm. you know the student movement, the student protests. I know that how was happening quite frequently in France. I assume it probably spilled over into Italy as well. So young people taking a stand, and you know we can even though as you say with with uh, Fennec, probably a little bit older than Floriana was really supposed to be although right. i totally mm-hmm. understand why that actress was cast absolutely but probably right, yeah. in you know it should have been played by somebody who was the age of the char- the actress who played fausta instead to really hit right. that home yeah i think so but the, the, the age gap between uh fennec and Steinberg is about 11 years too so okay okay yeah, yeah. yeah that's not bad that that feels appropriate for who their characters are in the film yeah, too i just think floriana mm-hmm. i think she probably looks like she's in her mid-20s when she was you know meant to be that 17 like a teenager yeah 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 mm-hmm. so floriana does end up eventually meeting up with uh the married couple they head back to the villa this is when we are first properly not even introduced we see walter who is the gray-haired man played by ivan rasimov and he's just a kind of figure of mystery for a large portion of this film we see him lurking about we don't understand what his role is in anything except having amazing hair yeah (laughs) the hair is amazing do we think that's a wig or is that his real hair i don't know if it was a wig well done wig maker 
There we it, go. It, it looks a little too big to be natural hair. So I, my mm. gut told me wig, but I, who could say? I don't know. This is the era of men having hair like Just that. Big hair. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, that's true. It's true. Listeners, let us know, wig or real hair on this character? <laughs> I mean, even just, so A, he has black hair in, these, in a picture from 1976 that I'm looking at. Um, mm-hmm. God, he's very, like he, oh God, the actor that plays Jaws in those James Bond movies, that's the vibe this man gives off. Yes. Oh, interesting. I mean, he has a very striking face. Every time he showed up on screen, I thought, oh, wow, okay. You're like, who's he? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we head back to the villa, and this is when Arena gossips to Flo about Oliviero's struggles to write. So, you know, he's had one good book, but when he was in the bookstore, we did hear that they're not really republishing him, so he is struggling. Uh, Flo immediately notices that the villa seems a little devoid of furniture, maybe a little bit run down. <laughs> and there, there is a joke that they've been selling off their belongings to keep the place afloat. I mean, this this was not uncommon. I mean, these these huge estates, you can't imagine. I can't imagine the cost of having to keep these places up even before central heating was a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, she ta- Irina talks about they close off certain parts of it because it's just even, you know, even if somebody was wealthy, it's not. This is why if you go to the UK or France, fancy houses and castles, they're they're open to tourists. That's the only way the families can afford to keep them up. Right. And yeah. and especially like at this time in Italy, like, as I said, you know, there were a lot of strikes and student demonstrations in the late 60s. But the early 70s, there was a recession. There was a lot of political unrest. Mm. You know, the fact that this guy couldn't earn the money to keep up the family estate, even even if it was, he was a successful writer, it might not have been possible. But we know we we're being told he's not successful. So it's not surprising. And and I don't know what the laws were about women working at the time, but obviously Arena doesn't work, whether by choice mm-hmm. or maybe he doesn't want her to work because that would give her some independence. I mean, that's right. the thing. When I see all these estates, I'm like, I can barely keep up cleaning my two bedroom apartment. So I can't even imagine mm-hmm. what this villa is going to be like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, you're too busy sexually assaulting Brenda to let her, you know, go and <laughs> actually do her job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also, I mean, how much of the money that could be used on anything is going to alcohol? Oh, my God. Oh, He's God. drunk in this entire movie. Yeah. 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 Which And, and that's a holdover from the Poe story, because, I mean, like, that was a very sure. much about a guy who was drunk all the time. Look, but yeah. they're, in, they're in Italy. You can get cheap wine, wasn't he? Why didn't you just drink wine? You can get drunk cheaply. But <laughs> yeah, it looks like he's drinking hard alcohol throughout this entire film. And yeah. again, you know, maybe that's just a preference. But he seems like the kind of guy who is desperate to keep up appearances. We make a joke about his impotence, and it's not clear if that's meant to be about the writing or the getting up of a dick and or both. i think you read it both ways yeah i mean if he's drunk all the time he's not getting hard very often right unless he's looking at mom's portrait <laughs> yes on that dress that that <laughs> he lies back and thinks of his mother so you know what? right <laughs> to be clear we're mocking the incest we're not mocking if there is any implied cross-dressing because if that's a kink and you subscribe hey. to it more power to you go right ahead Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of the dress, this is when Walter delivers it by hand. And uh, 
Well, unfortunately, this sends Oliviero into a rage because he is like, you sent this out. You had somebody else touch the, basically the crime scene. I mean, and look, granted, I, I was not alive in 1972, so I don't know if like dry cleaning dresses like this was commonplace in Italy. But I'd have to think no. I was going to say, like, how do you clean this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, did he expect her to do it by hand? Yeah, and you'd think like a cleaner could, no, the police could go to a cleaner and say, you know, has anything weird happened? Oh, these people brought this like, you know, Mm -hmm. 17th century dress. Of course, it's not. I assume it was a costume made for a play or a movie, but this style of dress got brought in for cleaning. I mean, you would think if this guy is is using it for sexual fantasies, he would have it cleaned more often. You would hope. Mm, But, um... (laughs) You would hope. Yeah, I'm just picturing like a, a deleted scene of like the dry cleaner being like, oh, wow. OK, it's not the usual cum stains. It looks like Brenda's blood on this one. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like that scene in The Sweetest Thing whenever Selma Blair brings that cum covered dress back to the dry yes. cleaner and like her priest walks in, her kindergarten teacher walks in. <laughs> uh, love that. But it's just Oliviero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OK, so. Arena unfortunately catches a pretty severe beating for this, so she retires for the night. And we don't see this one. It's off screen, and we're watching Floriana as she hears it. And then she goes to check on Arena, and Olivia is just like, oh, she was tired. She went to bed. And you could see on Flo's face that she is not buying this for a fucking second. Well, because I'm sorry, she doesn't retire. He locks her in a closet. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, before she gets discovered, though, we have to have another scene between Oliviero and Flo because he's very prone to just going into her room whenever he feels like it. So he starts touching her leg. And this is where we get a little bit of tete-a-tete where, you know, she asks, hey, is it true that you're a bit of an alcoholic and an abuser and a drug addict? And, and he a asks if she's a two-bit tart. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, I I love, again, scenes like this with dialogue where everyone's just being very bluntly honest. And she's like, oh, have you slept with your mother? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like, apparently it was the talk of family barbecues or something. And I love it. Like, he think uh, this this idea that calling her a two-bit tart is going to be an insult. It's like, Mm -hmm. to to somebody like her? Who cares? Yeah, she flings it right back. She's like, it'd be two bits well spent. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, she's going to prove it that she doesn't have any kind of sexual hangups. Like, she will fuck someone if she chooses to. And, like, to me, the biggest betrayal in terms of sexuality in this film is when she actually goes with Dario when he invites her to leave on his stupid motorcycle. I was like, bitch, no, that was a dumb lay in in whatever that house is where he took you. And then you're supposed to drop him because he sucks. Well... I have a theory that if if they had survived, she would have just been like, as as soon as they got to whatever town she needed to be in, mm-hmm. she would have been like, thanks for the ride. See ya. Right. I've got the jewels. Goodbye. I think yeah. part of that, Joe, too, is we're wanting Floriana and Arena to be like the getaway duo. True. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The movie isn't isn't giving me the happy uh, Thelma and Louise that I'm looking for. Yeah, we're burying our gaze in this movie. (laughs) Alas, yes, yeah. 
Okay, so uh, we do end up finding Arena in a closet, as you said. She's being attacked by Satan, and this <laughs> definitely brought me back to the Legend of Hell House because that film infamously has a black cat attack, which ends up getting parodied in the first scary movie. Second scary movie. Second scary movie. And you know what? I like this scene as well. Satan is a bit of a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Satan or Esther? <laughs> That's the mom's name, I mean, right? it, it is. You got it. it. Okay. Basically, Satan's acting like all people who hate cats think cats act. Yes, mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> so true. Yes. <laughs> this is why you can't have a cat. They'll attack you in a closet. Yeah. I do want to make a quick note, though. When we see Arena, like, she's obviously very disoriented. She's hysterical. All the things you would expect after your husband beats you, locks you in a closet, and then his pet cat attacks you. The attention to detail, if you look at her dress, there are a bunch of scratch marks in the fabric from where the cat has attacked her. And I was like, you didn't need to go to that attention. To detail? (laughs) (laughs) Unless they were already there. But no, they probably put those in. Yeah. (laughs) Unless she was like, or... They let the cat scratch the shirt before they put it on Arena. I was right. going to say, I, I think they just wrapped the cat in the dress and shook it around a bit and then oh, waited God. for it to attack. <laughs> they put the cat on the dress and then they brought in one of 25 <laughs> different dogs and then the cat scratched. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but now we're up to the only truly sexy part of this film, mm-hmm. which is when the two women go to Pantown. This is, I mean, this is very, I wrote tender in my notes. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's funny because it's not really sex. Like, they're just kind of, like, on each other naked, like, touching, like, caressing each other's bodies. But, like, it's meant yeah. to be a sex scene, but we're not, like, we're not seeing any kind of lingus or anything. But, um, yeah, this no. is, uh, whew, this is hot. And it, it returns to the music from the opening credits. So it's like, mm-hmm. yes, this is this is good sex. This is, you know, yes. wanted, needed, consensual, loving you know, well, I mean, it might not be love, but it's tender and and mm-hmm. pres- like uh, hopefully they're getting each other off in some way, right? Well, and th- th- this is my first time watch of this film, and I was I-, I was fully buying into the the okay, yes, they're gonna become lovers, they're gonna kill this man, and we're gonna get out of here. As if I just forgot, right. I'm watching a Giallo film. <laughs> I mean. Without knowing at this point that Arena turns out to be the villain, I mean, I was thinking, okay, this is probably Arena's first time with a woman, but Floriana, no way. She's mm, she's been around no. several blocks. Yeah, yeah. But I guess I, I guess because I, I kept thinking that this was going to be in-game, like, relationship, and it's really right. Floriana who's the first one. Not turn on Arena, but it's like, oh, no, this is just, like, a night for her. This is not mm-hmm. anything more than that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why I thought this scene is so successful, because you're both right. I do think it's very tender. You know, it's exploitative in the way that, you know, it's a bunch of male creatives who are putting in a lesbian sex scene for question mark arbitrary reasons. But I thought that this was tasteful. I thought this was mm-hmm. hot. I think if you're a viewer who likes seeing naked ladies get together, this is going to be a good scene. And it's also very much treated as a, yeah, these women fucked because they wanted to. Like, I thought that was really progressive for a film in 1972. But that's the thing. We're going to bring, like, we're going to have the male gaze. Like, I don't really get that from this scene. I do get it from Brenda's scene, but I don't yes. get it from this. It's a huge stark contrast between the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I do feel like Martino was like, yeah, okay, let's let's not be male gazy about this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just appreciate it because all of the heterosexual sex in this movie is it just either doesn't look great. We're not seeing that much of it or it's extremely non-consensual. It's, you know, assaulty and so on. Whereas here it's like, oh, here's a queer love scene and it looks like the best sex in the entire film. But that's why even because we don't know that Arena is the killer yet, this is almost like it's cathartic or and or refreshing to be like, oh good, like this woman that we have seen get assaulted mm-hmm. and beaten and verbally abused over and over and over up until this point finally gets a moment of true pleasure and happiness. And that's why yeah. this scene is very important. Like you could cut out like Brenda's like masturbation scene and just have her get, like try the dress and get killed. Boom. I did, right. but, but this needs to be in this film. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's at this point that we abruptly cut and go to the brothel <laughs> so that we can watch Giovanna get killed. But um, first, any commentary on this room full of motherfucking dolls? <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it just i understand that why you know this whole the murder of giovanna is in there it's a red herring it's throwing both yep. the audience and the detectives mm-hmm. in the in the film off the scent but it's like i also feel like the screenwriters are just having fun it's like it feels like it's a scene from another giallo that never got made and yes. maybe one of these writers like I, I had this in a script i'm like i'm gonna find a way to put this in here okay i can make mm-hmm. it work i always wanted to have a weird doll murder in a brothel let's put it into this film just because i'm sorry also the sounds that one of these dolls makes when she drops it and it's supposed to be a baby crying but it sounds like a shrieking animal yes it does yes (laughs) and i think it's meant to be kind of a jump scare too because it's like the sound like this is like a relatively chill scene up until the murder Mm mm-hmm yeah it's perplexing this this whole part is just like okay sure i will say i i i'm contradicting myself because this is very much something i said that i don't like about giallo films but mm-hmm. it's so rare for you to have okay we have a second killer but it's a second killer that's completely unrelated to the main plot of the film so right again like is this wholly necessary if we're like trying no. to be expeditious with our runtime no but Based on how Giallo operate, like, yeah, this does make it's throwing us at the trail, even though it is, in essence, extraneous narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's also a little bit of comic relief. Yeah. A little yeah. bit. Yeah. I mean, watching the madame just cleave this guy's head in, <laughs> it was so unceremonious. I just thought, oh, wow. Have we... Wait, have we dispensed with the killer? Is the movie over? But that's why, because we see we see his face. And at first, because I was watching this, I rented this, I think, on Apple TV. Because the version I have was 96 minutes, but the one on Amazon was like 94 minutes. And I was like, ooh, I don't know if this is like an edited cut or something. So, mm. But I thought maybe it was one of those things where, because you know when they do like a 4K transfer, they like redo it for HD. Sometimes the lighting, and especially in dark scenes, is a little bit brighter. Yeah. So, I was like, when we see his face, I was like, oh, shit. Like, are we meant to, like, see his face now? Or is it something that in 1972, it was dark enough to where you couldn't see this man's face? And, of course, something... It was supposed to be his face. (laughs) You could fully see (laughs) his face. It's just a question of, wait, who is that? (laughs) Well, that's... Yeah, I don't know who that was. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You don't recognize him. It's the bookseller. Or unless you're really observant, you don't recognize him. (laughs) If you just really like that bookstore scene so much that you were just really (laughs) paying attention to it. 
I mean, honestly, this guy gets, I think, one line in that one scene and then this where he is revealed to be the killer. It's wild. I just thought, okay, but not only is he the killer, it's like the most cliche thing. He's an escaped mental patient. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he escaped eight years ago. He's just been working as a bookseller this whole time. (laughs) So that's the thing, though. So has he been murdering women this whole time or is this just the first time he's thought to kill someone in eight years? I mean, this is Sheila's whole other giallo that, like, somebody go out there and make it. What is his story? What is the Bartello giallo? (laughs) 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 Okay, so we leave that storyline completely alone for now, and we go back to the villa. So the next day, Dario delivers cream. He fills in Flo about the disappearance of Brenda, so he's stirring the pot a little bit. And then this is when Inspector Farlow says, like, oh, yeah, it's the bookseller. Case is basically closed. Murder solved. We'll cool, never cool. see these cops again. Uh, we no, I know see we them at the end. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Oliviero is like, cool, thanks. Yeah. I can go on with my life of being drunk. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so he does a little bit of strangling Irina, and then he yells that he didn't kill Brenda, which we will all come to realize is true. Yeah. And then we cut to an extended motocross race, folks, so uh, that we can watch Dario do his thing and then get really pissed off when his motorcycle uh, has a technical malfunction and Flo has to comfort this D-bag. This whole sequence in my notes, it's just one bullet. After some boring dirt bike race scene, they fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I I mean, there's a certain economy to this to this scenario between the two of them that i appreciated he's like you know oh, yeah. he probably is like do you do you want to go fuck she's like yeah sure why not hopefully he's got a dick. they go to this <laughs> barn or whatever um he's got he's got a sleeping bag or something on which they can lie down so he's a little bit of gentlemanly behavior there and he's prepared for this he's clearly yeah. done it a few times yeah and which is hey you know you're prepared great and then she's mm-hmm. like you know this is gonna be fun but don't have any expectations he's like okay Love all that. right go ahead you know it's economical expectations are set up yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's it's so interesting because i'm really used to especially North American media, having women be very hesitant to sleep with a man. And then when they do, they get dickmatized and they become obsessive. Like we've seen that narrative so many times that it was Mm -hmm. really refreshing to see a 1972 film have this guy be like, oh, we had no strings attached sex, but now I want the strings attached. Like I'm throwing pebbles at your window because I want you to (laughs) run away with me. And Flo is kind of like, eh? I guess, like, I don't know. This sex did not look good. Like, the chemistry is not there between these characters. So no, I was just like, all. I guess get your rocks off, girl. But you can do better than this. But 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 she's always in control, and that's what I like. Though, in a film that's filled to the brim with like misogyny and things like things like that, uh, at the end of the day, the women are always in control in this film. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Except for when Arena is getting beaten. Well. I mean, she'll be in control. It's part of her long game. Yeah, all I just, you know, just basically, you know, straight men take take a lesson. If you're open and honest and are prepared with a sleeping bag and hopefully in this day and age protection. <laughs> there you go. And and agree to the no strings attached, you're gonna have casual sex a lot more. You know, women yeah. do want casual sex as much as men do. We just don't do it as much because we there are too many of you who are not trustworthy. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Dario's, yeah, the fact that he then becomes attached is a little annoying, but at least in the beginning, he was relatively reasonable. Yeah. And I recognize that I keep saying, oh, he's such a shitty dude. It, it's not even that. He's a perfectly fine guy. He's just very bland compared yeah. to, like, I, I see a character like Flo, and I'm just like, no, you can, you do, can do better. better. Come on. <laughs> well, at least she knows she can. If yes. we're to believe that Dario was having a sexual relationship with Brenda, he's getting over that real quick. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, apparently no strings attached there. Yeah, he he just thinks that she skipped town and left him, I guess. He didn't know she's dead. Right, yeah. He's just moved on to a new fuck buddy because the old fuck buddy he thinks has gone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so tragedy has struck back at the villa. Arena has discovered that Satan has gotten into her precious dove collection. So she has a... Because that's what she does. (laughs) Apparently this is what she does with her days. Yes. So she gets some revenge. She grabs a pair of scissors and she stabs this cat right in the eye. This was, I'm not going to lie, this is this is pretty brutal. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. But uh, remember that old woman that we told you to remember for later? <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. She is there yep. and she's she's just doing her thing. And this is why, I mean, obviously, Irina's in a fit of rage and I, I kind of get it. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, people don't give a shit if you kill another person, especially if she's your black maid, but better not hurt <sighs> an animal. Yep. Yeah, man. Oh God. Honestly, though, what I would love is if we kill this cat and then she stabs it to the portrait where the cat is in the portrait and leaves it. Oh, hanging boy. There. That's <laughs> that's your movie. <laughs> that is grim. That is dark. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So Miss Molinar does notice this and then Arena goes in and uh, she almost immediately opens up a giant bag of eyeballs and promptly faints. But we learn that this is actually just Satan's food. He likes to eat sheep eyeballs. Uh, okay, I missed that part. I heard him. Oh, be like, I did I, too, because I wanted to. I have a note here. What is it with the eyeballs? Okay. Well, because he, he says something about like about the food they eat. And I was like, oh, it must just be like one of those delicacies. You know, it's in the it's in the right. aisle with like the livers and the gizzards and whatever with like all the other shit. Sure. <laughs> I just assumed that he was going to have her make eyeballs for him. <laughs> but like eyeballs for the rest of the year, there are two bags of this and there are so many eyeballs. It's a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, they're, they're not going to stay fresh. <laughs> no. Unless you're eating them like olives, like, can you just kind of gently preserve them in a brine in the fridge or something? Mm. <laughs> uh, but, but I feel like the inside of an eyeball is like, it's full of like, like gelatin like oh. material. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to properly store eyeballs for human mm-hmm. consumption. Yeah, listeners, write in with your suggestions. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I'm the adventurous eater, so like you might you might find livers and uh, uh, kidneys and stuff in my freezer, but you yeah you will have never found you will never find an eyeball in my fridge. Okay, Joey, we have to remember this in case uh, in case yeah traces ever plausible deniability when he's discovered to be a serial killer. <laughs> I mean, calf livers, chicken livers. I I I made kidney for the first time this year, and I will tell you, so you can make really good food out of this stuff. Mm-hmm. liver has a horrible smell that you need to soak it in milk to kind of get rid of that more pungent taste out of okay kidneys are some of the worst smelling organs i've ever had in my entire life they, they, once you cook them they taste good but they're really like like strong tasting but when mm-hmm. they're raw oh really well because you gotta cut them in half and like dig the fat out of the middle of them because that's not oh. really edible no 
No, thank yeah. you. Anyway, cooking it's, with uh, Trace. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a no for me. It sounds like you've been cooking with Hannibal, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, because a lot of that stuff's really cheap because people don't buy it that much. So you can get livers right. for like $1.50 a pound. Yeah. Liver is there cheap. There you go. Yeah. In this in this economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this economy. <laughs> All right. So uh yes, Arena has fainted over these eyeballs, also because she's feeling just a little bit guilty. And this is when we start to hear the telltale yowling of the cat. Yeah, and this will not stop. No, we're gonna hear it for the rest of the film. So, first, we need to get to our incest. So, Flo surprises Oliviero when he comes into her room, because once again, that's a thing he does throughout this film. And she's already dressed up in mom's costume, and they be getting down to fucking. And this is when I was confused, because I was like, okay, is she, like, playing a game with him? Or is she like, <laughs> yeah, fuck it, whatever. Because, again, in my mind, I'm like, no, she's with Arena. They're planning to kill this man. Well, this it could have gone either way. It could have been yes, yes, Le Diabolique. They're planning to kill this guy, and it's part of the seduction. But also, we've seen her getting around. Could be like yeah. she's like, yeah, why not? I'll get, I'll, huh. I'll see what this guy is like. Or I'll maybe they've done uncle. it before. Why not? <laughs> yeah, that's actually possible. Which I will say, having her aging her up out of the teenage years makes this a little helpful. A little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's a yeah, little, it's a little more, more palatable. palatable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at this point in the film, it's very uncertain what Flo's endgame is, and I do kind of love how it's so ambiguous, but I'll I'll admit, just like the two of you, I was a little confused, like, okay, so what is her endgame here? Well, this was at the point at which another common trope of Giallo I noticed was missing is that there's no amateur detective. There's nobody mm-hmm. there. We have the real yeah. police detective who occasionally right. investigates all these. But usually in Giallo, there's an amateur detective and we don't have that in this. I wonder Truly, if yeah. maybe Oliviero is meant to be the stand in for that, because doesn't he write detective novels? Although he's not even trying to solve anything. He's just drunk. He's not even trying to write anything except revenge over and over again. But yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I started to like, OK, is 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 Floriana trying to figure right. out something that's going on that was like, but we don't see her investigating Mm -mm. but it was just sort of a thought i had at that point no she doesn't even really seem to know anything's going on except for what she hears from dario which is oh hey brenda went missing but maybe she also just left yeah Mm. like characters don't even respond to fausta being murdered people don't ever acknowledge that giovanna (laughs) has been murdered they don't know they don't know giovanna (laughs) it's true yeah (laughs) i don't know her <laughs> um okay so we've got this incestual sex scene between uncle and niece and then the next day oliviero threatens arena when she's out there with the doves because he has found these scissors he's like where is the second pair of scissors come from okay. and where is my fucking cat so okay wait, wait wait i'm sorry rapes her again why did you buy new scissors like you only have one pair of is that a thing that, that's a th- Trace, they're also- downsizing they have to sell everything to keep the villa <laughs> operating if if we had a if we only had one pair of scissors which i have at least three pairs of scissors in my apartment my sure. apartment not my goddamn italian villa estate <laughs> try to count how many pairs of scissors i have right now these scissors are different. Well, he notices it, but he tries to stab her. And then when he mm-hmm. misses, that's when he's like, well, I didn't stab you. So I guess I'll rape you now. Right. Yeah. 
It's also very disappointing because Flo comes out, sees this, and just kind of does a heel spin and goes back inside the house. And that's when I kind of knew that something was up. Yeah. Mm. I'm like, oh, you're not going to help the person. No, she's obviously playing all sides here. She's out for herself at that point, you know. Mm -hmm. Which makes her really interesting. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely oh, does. Because yeah. you want to know what's going on. Have the jewels been mentioned by her at this point? I can't remember. I don't think so. Uh, no, not yet. Okay. So we don't know. We don't have an idea. of. We don't even know why she's there yet, except she just decided right. to show up. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so, okay. yeah. That'll come up in a couple of scenes. But like, so literally her only motive coming here was just to get the jewelry. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, presumably everybody's struggling financially like maybe that's her her thing too she's like oh well they've got this villa and i know they've got jewels so i'm gonna go and grab them because i need the money not realizing oh that's the only thing that they've got because they also poe poe <laughs> yes poe oh poe <laughs> she's poe yeah uh, okay po. so we're we're gonna have more between these women where we actually see plotting up on the mountain picnic but first we have to be reminded that mrs molinar is still a character in this film so we see her briefly go to inspector farla but we don't really know the extent of what she's talking to him about like presumably it's about the cat presumably mm -hmm. and it is that 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 presumption is not correct. about brenda not she, no. she hasn't no. seen brenda in ages doesn't care about brenda but she cares about the cat. no Brenda's not Honestly, a person. What are you talking about? Racism. Racism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Okay, so up on the mountaintop, we are picnicking. This looks lovely. The scenery is gorgeous. And these two women are like, well, Arena, you could either die by suicide or we could kill him. What do you like of those chances? So, okay, my, my one question to both of you. Arena's killing all these people, you know, because they're sleeping with Oliviero in some shape, way, or form. Why mm -hmm. doesn't she just kill Oliviero? I guess maybe because she knows right. she'll get caught as the killer if he dies. Yeah, and mm. and presumably at this point, uh, his treatment of her would not be a sufficient defense. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because Floriana tells her that. It's like, you're going to go to jail for this. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. and she probably doesn't have any, like, if, if she divorces him, she'll get nothing. And not that right, he yeah. has much, but she'll not that there's money. anything to be gotten. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. the jewels are Esther's, so hypothetically he would keep those. Yeah. Yeah. If he dies, maybe she would get them. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 if she was in prison, she wouldn't be getting them. No. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the two women basically say we should totally fucking kill this guy. Let's make <laughs> it happen. But yeah. the problem is, is that when Arena is woken up in the middle of the night because of the fucking cat, she overhears Flo and Oliviero making plans to get rid of her and put her in the cellar. And it's like, well, fuck, everybody's plotting against everybody. And it really is Lady Diabolique. And see, at mm -hmm. this point, I was like, no, Floriana's just still playing the game. She's humoring him. But yeah, I didn't believe her. I wasn't <laughs> sure if I believed her with Arena. I was more inclined to, but I definitely didn't right. believe anything she said to Oliviero. 100%. No. Yeah. Okay, so we get another smackdown by Oliviero against Arena when she goes to investigate the cat noises downstairs. Well, and that's where she finds, though, the, basically her grave because Brenda's body mm -hmm. is in there. Mm -hmm. But also, like, 
she had to have known that Brenda was somewhere nearby because Oliviero said, we're not going to the cops. You need to help me cover this up. So this scene didn't really work for me because I assume that she already knew Brenda's body was somewhere on the estate. I think the implication is that he had already sealed the wall up with Brenda inside of it. So when she goes down and the wall is open again, that's when she's like, oh, shit, he is going to kill me and put me in there. Yeah. Yes, that makes perfect sense. That's what I assumed as well. Yeah. Mm hmm. So this is when Dario shows back up and he asks Flo to run away with him when he leaves the next day. And of course, Arena is lurking in the shadows, so she hears this information. So this is when Arena finds Oliviero is not just planning to put her into the cellar, but like he's literally typing it out on his typewriter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So she gets there first and she stabs him to death with these fucking scissors. And I do not blame her one bit. No. No. I was worried this was a hallucination or a dream sequence. Mm -hmm. Me too. When I first Mm -hmm. saw this, I'm like, is she? And even the second time I saw it a long time, you know, because it was so long between. I'm like, this is going to be a dream sequence, isn't it? I'm so happy when it turns out Mm -hmm. it's not. Well, and I will say, like, this is satisfying because you want to see this man die. But again, it's one of those things where I'm like, no, I want him to know that she is killing him, why she's killing him. And Mm -hmm. I want to see his face when he realizes she has the upper hand. We don't get that here, but it's... No. At least he's dead. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so Flo comes in on the scene. I love the framing of this. So Arena is sitting at this like kitchen table and we can see Esther's portrait behind her. And then Flo comes in and kind of takes the spot of Esther and begins caressing Arena's shoulders. I just thought it was really well done. Mm -hmm. And this is where Flo basically cuts a deal. She says, I will help you get rid of your husband's body, but I'm going to need them there. Jewels. Jewels. Yes. And you know what? This sounds like a fine deal to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's a services rendered kind of deal. Pay me yeah. and I will yeah. help you and then we can go our separate ways. Yeah. But that's the thing that you're just like, oh, come on, ladies. They're all the power mm-hmm. couple. Let's be a power couple. Get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Like you've got what you wanted. Come on. Uh, but no, Floriana's like, no, I got this uh, guy on a motorcycle waiting for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and we also have Walter, who we still don't know anything about at this point, watching and lurking outside the villa at this point. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Arena asks Flo not to leave because it seems like she might even leave that night. And uh, when she wakes up in the middle of the night, she notices that Flo is already gone. This is when we get this weird moment where the word vendetta has been written a billion times on the typewriter. Mm -hmm. I presume this is Walter's doing to try to scare the girls. Well, not the girls, but like Flo. Oh, I figured it was the ghost. But oh, maybe well. I'm reading the supernatural into this when it shouldn't be. But we've got the supernatural cat, so. Yeah, right. no, I, mean, I think calling to Rebecca, too, where it's like, oh, mm. it's not really a ghost story, but it is a ghost story. So I, I, yeah. I can buy into that with this. Okay. I mean, that would definitely make sense. Well, makes sense in the way it's a supernatural occurrence, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, Arena and Florida, they, they do have sex again, right? uh yes but it's not really seen this time so when arena wakes up in the night you can see her arm is over where she expects yeah Flo she to reaches be. for where Got it arena okay. should be okay. in yeah. Oh, yeah see look at that restraint from this male director there we go yeah <laughs> well also because it's not loving and tender anymore right they're about to betray each other respectively well, so yeah th- this is yeah. a business transaction 
(laughs) (laughs) So after we find the vendetta, this is when Flo runs away into the night and Walter comes in and we get a little makeout. So we learn that Arena has been working with Walter this whole time. And she says, we know where she's going to be. On the bridge at 7 Mm -hmm. Mm a.m. We also get this fantastic scene where Arena's just hanging out in the cellar that's now been bricked back up. And she's just talking to Oliviero about how much she hopes he's still kind of alive so that he can suffer because she fucking hates him so much. And I was just like, oh, this is real satisfying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm." Yeah, it's a little little, uh, cask of Amontillado in there. Yes. I yeah. I love the reveal too that Arena's the one that killed Esther. And so that, that actually gives more mm-hmm. more credence to the idea that this cat is the ghost of Esther, like resurrected, because mm-hmm. she comes back for revenge or or the vendetta. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the fact that she kills Brenda, does that help us at all in terms of the way it's depicted kind of like sexually? Or is it just like, no, Brenda still didn't deserve to die? No, no, Brenda definitely didn't deserve that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yes, then we get to possibly my favorite segment of this movie, where we get to watch Flo and Dario ride on the motorcycle on the winding, twisty turns of this mountain. And we're just getting these, like, almost smash cuts to a giant lingerie billboard that's on the (laughs) side of the road, as well as a canister with, like, a little thing that you pop the lid off of it, and we just keep going back and forth, and the score is back and swelling and building Mm -hmm. to something, and we just see Walter pour a can of oil across the road so that when Dario drives over it, down we go, and the lovers are dead. This is very Final Destination-y, and you better believe, I was like, they better like that shit on fire yeah which we do yeah walter <laughs> lights up a cigarette and these two corpses get crispy uh, i love that with yeah. the with the cigarette yeah because that's you know the poetic justice there although i don't mm-hmm. think floriana really deserved this death no. either necessarily no. i mean you know arena got what she wanted out of it mm-hmm the, the biggest dick move is when walter's like yoink i'm just gonna grab the jewels back before i light you on fire because <laughs> of course but, she needs yeah. that she needs the well, money. Yeah. That's all. That's the only thing. That's the only thing of value mm-hmm. Oliviero had was those jewels. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, she though. Do you, think, do you think that Floriana is going to stay with Dario? Or is this just like, a, hey, let me have oh, you no, here I... while I'm getting these jewels? No. I think she's just using him for the ride. That's my yeah. That's my figure. <laughs> no, I that's fully agree. True. She yeah. she was hitching a ride, and then she would have ditched him at the first opportunity with the jewels. Yeah. 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 She would have said, oh, wait, wait here, honey. I'll be right back. And then he'd never see her yeah. again. Exactly. <laughs> Can you just uh, go and get me a gelato from that store across the street? I promise I will absolutely 1000% be here when you get back. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I also love the expediency with which we then get rid of Walter because he goes up to the top of the mountain where we were picnicking and he's like, your plans are great, sweetie. And Arena just pushes him off the edge. Oh, this is one of my favorite. Uh, the oh, shots. Yeah. Like it's so great the body falling. <laughs> it's so good. It's so satisfying. <laughs> so fun. And good. and of course we we know we're getting the real arena now because her hair is different. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cuz you know she Ugh. she's she she's now actually run a comb through her hair and it's quaffed perfectly and yeah. 
this is actually Poseidon Adventures. I think that's this is actually near. She she gives me um if you've ever seen Poseidon Adventure, I'm um, Stella Stevens from that movie who plays Linda. Like she they have the exact same like big red hairstyle hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, could not stop thinking about it. But um this actress's bone structure in her jaw is just so defined. Oh yeah. Yeah, she is Swedish, I believe, and she has that kind of like lady who used to model and now she's like 10 years out of the biz and living Mm -hmm. her absolute best life but still has cheekbones that you could cut something on yep (laughs) yeah so okay arena has pulled it off she has gotten rid of everybody who could get her into trouble and she's got the jewels so she goes back to the villa and motherfucker inspector farla is waiting for her there (laughs) (laughs) That's why you never returned to the scene of the crime. You had the jewels. You were home free. That villa is empty. What are you even going back to? Did y'all want to see her get caught? Because I'm not going to lie. I really want her to get away with this. No, other than Brenda, I wanted her to get away with it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, I think that the suspense plays out really well in this scene because watching mm-hmm. her try to hold it together while these cops are there mm-hmm. is really delightful to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the cat is still fucking caterwauling, except they're also hearing it, and they follow it down to the cellar, and you, we all know where this is going, and that doesn't diminish the suspense or how well it is executed. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. this last act of this movie is so fucking satisfying yeah, at each good. and every turn, mm-hmm. and I have to praise uh, Strindberg for the moment where they, you know, break down the wall, and we see the bodies, and we cut to her, and her eyes are are wild she is yeah. crazed in this moment and it is <laughs> really fucking exciting to watch and then we just get that extreme close-up of that eyeless cat like it is just like yeah. yep. Ooh! you shouldn't have committed animal cruelty because even if this was uh your possessed mother. mother-in-law <laughs> bitch if she hadn't yeah. killed that cat she would have gotten away with it yeah yeah well that's the poe of it all truly mm-hmm. And that's the film. We just end immediately. <laughs> yeah, I love it because we get the credits at the beginning. But this is, you know, common in older films. Credits at the beginning mm-hmm. and then nothing at the end. But ending oh, yeah. on the cat. Yep. You got what you wanted. What more do you need? Get out of the theater. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We gave you sex. We gave you violence. We gave you lesbian sex. We gave you cat murder. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. This Honestly, movie has it all. It truly mm-hmm. does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so yeah, that has been uh, Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. So, Sheila, I mean, as the guest of honor, any final thoughts on this film? I think it's it's underrated as a giallo, yeah. even though, as, as we point out, there's some atypical stuff in it, uh, a couple of missing tropes. But I really like it because there are layers that you can peel back as to what was it like for women in those days. It actually doesn't mm-hmm. toss away the women characters like so many other giallos do. And the layers of the racism that was there and what was going on, you know, the economic situation of so many people. Uh, it, it examined a lot of issues, and I think Martina was trying to fit in as much as he could, even though he's like, okay, yeah, and I'm going to have a lot of, you know, boobs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? With your boobs, <laughs> I'm giving you social commentary. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's it's one it's it's one of my I'm not I, I'm you know, I, I'm not a devotee of Giallo films, but mm-hmm. it's one it's it's one that I do really like. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, I, I'm, uh, you know, if anything, the best thing to come out of this is that watching this and having me quite like it, um, I want to go out and seek out other non-Dario Argento Giallo films to see how right. I go with those two. I would recommend, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, it doesn't hurt. This is a 96 minute movie. So like it does mm-hmm. kind of breeze by. Uh, and I will confess, I mean, as I said last week, I had never heard of this movie before I saw that Joe had programmed it. And my ignorant ass, if I had just seen this title, I would have been like, no, and just like moved right <laughs> on by. And now after seeing all the different very long titles of all these giallo films i'm kind of like ooh, do i want this lizard one do i want the scorpion one so many yeah. animal names in these titles i don't i wonder they why love an animal name mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh but yeah no, I, I agree i i really like this i was very surprised i wasn't dreading watching this but i wasn't exactly looking forward to it so mm-hmm. to come out of this being like that was a fun time i enjoyed that uh that speaks everything it needs to speak for me there we go. We're changing your mind on a variety of different types of movies one year at a time, it seems. <laughs> one year at a time. There we go. <laughs> yeah, um, this movie was a nice surprise. I knew about the title. I knew it had a queer kind of either pansexual or bisexual or coded lesbian character. Sure. And I didn't know anything else about it. So it was, yeah, just kind of a fun, wild ride. And I want to seek out more Martino films after this specifically because i really like the way this was directed i think it is stylish and you're right sheila it's built you know surprisingly so with some interesting commentary and i'm down for that particularly as i have said way too many times already for an early 70s film i wasn't expecting it Mm -hmm. yeah the seven, I mean, the, the late 60s and early 70s was such a tumultuous time socially, politically in so many European countries. And I think that's mm-hmm. reflected in a lot, a lot more in the popular genre cinema at the time than a lot of critics mm-hmm. and academics at that time gave him credit for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, Sheila, first of all, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this film. But let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? Uh, social media, you can find me on Blue Sky under Bunnikin is my sort of handle, which is spelt B-O-N-N-E-Q-U-I-N. So I'm on Blue Sky. I'm also on Letterboxd. Um, I also have a website, SheilaRowanLeg.com. Any of my writing that's available publicly, you can read on there, like my reviews at Screen Anarchy and some of the others. And I have a blog that I've started. I'm in production right now on a short film. And I've got ooh, a blog ooh. and I and everybody says, when you have a blog name, make it really short. And I did the opposite and gave it a really long <laughs> name. Uh, so my blog is uh, meet me in the bar at the Albert Hotel dot WordPress dot com. Nice. <laughs> so it's, all, it's just, almost like uh, this movie. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, your vice is a locked room at the Albert Hotel. Dot com. <laughs> yeah, this is it. But there's links to it. But basically, yeah, Blue Sky and Letterboxd are the easiest places to find me or Screen Anarchy, where I have reviews posted reg- on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers or shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Uh, Go to our YouTube channel to watch our Chucky reviews and tune in once a month to hear about our most anticipated horror films for that month. If you want to chat with other listeners, join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you want to show us some love, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want to give us money, uh, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. 
if you subscribe today, you will get 275 hours of Patreon content, including this month's new episodes on A Creature Was Stirring, When Evil Lurks, Leave the World Behind, It's a Wonderful Knife, and our audio commentary for the month on William Friedkin's original The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness the original and not the recent film. Oh, we, uh, well, we covered that, that one too, but <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's um, <laughs> honestly, it's not even that it's horrible. It's just so fucking bland and forgettable. But mm-hmm. I digress. <laughs> Give us two more. <laughs> Yo, well, uh, Joe. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Christmas season or holiday season. Uh, what are we talking about next week? A real uh, feel-good movie. Yeah, so we're going to start our first of two weeks of holiday-themed programming. And uh, this one is very exciting for me, Trace, because this is a top five of all time horror film for me. So a little bit of Christmas, a little bit of new French extremity. We're going to be talking about à l'intérieur or inside the French one, not the fucking American remake. Oh, and you know what? That, y'all don't watch that American one because it like, no. it, it, it changes the ending, which is the worst thing you could have done. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, no, I this is not a top five film for me. I like this film a lot. I don't like I, I am not as enamored with this film as not just you, Joe, but everyone is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm actually looking well, forward to because you're wrong. this. Yeah. I will probably repeat this next week, but it's a thing. And this is completely on me, not the film. But like after mm-hmm. hearing about how how intense how gory how brutal it was and you know by this point i would already seen martyrs i think i'd already seen a serbian film by this point even right i was left wanting with the intensity of it but again like it's been a long time since i've seen this so i think i'll appreciate it more now well there you go okay Hmm. Yeah, not to be all edgelord on y'all, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> until next week, we can cross out your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. Indeed, and cross out horror queers. <laughs>